0: Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is another Bottle Down, so where we talk about wine and we meet wine personalities, and today we're certainly with uh, one, of the, one of the great wine personalities and one of the great advocates and voices for Portuguese wine, Eugenio Jardim, and he is the ambassador for wines of portugal. Eugenia, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This is this is really exciting. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. You've been in Austin, uh, what just till, since last night and and you're you're meeting wine professionals and spreading the good word about portuguese wine, is that it?
1: Exactly. I I have been a fan of Austin, Texas for a long time. I've been a fan of Texas for a long time. So any excuses to come here to work the marketplace to me is like a treat. Right. I mean, I should should not be paid to come here, I should pay to come here. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, basically what I do as an ambassador for the wines of Portugal is that I am in charge of educating anyone that is remotely interested or curious about uh, the culture of wines in Portugal. Right. Um, I'm not Portuguese myself, I was actually born in Brazil and I have lived uh, in the United States most of my life but uh, my point of entry in the United States was actually Austin Texas so and this is re- oh, this is a, an amazing story um,
0: why don't we I like folks to know where where um, my guests kind of come from uh, Tell us a little bit about how you ended up and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into Portuguese wines of okay. course <laughs> but um, I like them to know where you're coming from so so your first place in the US was Austin Texas
1: yes uh, my brother uh used to live in austin and now he's back here living here again um, and um, I w- I had finished college in Brazil um I graduated in communications and I lived in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, and not in the capital of the states called Goiania. And uh, uh, after a few jobs as a PR or as a, a restaurant manager mm-hmm. and, and et cetera, et cetera, I just felt a curiosity for other things. Right. Uh, while I was in college, I, I started doing a lot of theater Uh, Classical theater, sometimes uh, comedies and more contemporary theater. And uh, the theater was something that really caught me off guard. I did not expect it to love as much as I did. Um, There was a level of exposure that I think every human being should experience. You feel Naked, yeah, (laughs) no matter how much clothes, how much makeup, how much, how many wigs you have on, you feel completely naked because people can see you from head to toe. Yeah, and I love it.
0: Would you say that you feel more human in a sense? You know,
1: you feel everything, yeah, everything's (laughs) amplified, right? It is amplified. And I thought for the first few times when I step on the stage that I was actually gonna get sick uh, because I could not believe the feelings in my stomach. So the theater taught me how to really conquer my fears and be in front of people and, and talk. And, and later on in life, look at me now, I'm constantly in front of crowds and in front of people. Right. So I ended up in Austin just to wrap up that idea because yeah. I was uh, I had this crazy thought in my head that I needed to go to London to start, start a, uh theater in yeah. London. And uh, Shakespearean theater uh, was fascinating yeah. to me. Um, and uh, the Royal Academy of Drama had that incredible reputation. Sure. And I applied for scholarship and this and that. And then my brother said, well, well why don't you stop by Austin on the way? <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not quite on the way, right. but sure. Make it work, yeah. Hey, make work. Hey, I'm free. I got some money. I'll go spend a summer with you. Yeah. <laughs> Austin also caught me off guard. Yeah, I yeah. did not expect to, to like Austin as much as I did. Yeah. I didn't not expect the 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 Texans to be as friendly of people as they were. Right. I felt right away at home. I loved loved the city for yeah, and, but- we don't talk about the
0: Brazil uh, Austin Texas kind of, you know, that that vibe of openness and just having fun and carefree almost, you know, but it makes sense.
1: Could it be the music? Yeah, you the think? music
0: and dance. <laughs> because and, we're both into uh, both yeah. cities,
1: our, our nations, our cultures are really into music and food and yeah. fun and outdoors fun. So I fell in love with Austin, Texas, yeah. and I never made it to London. <laughs> um, from here I discovered my second uh, I, I my second passion my second love in life which is wine and uh was working in restaurants here in austin texas just to pay for my classes at ut and to have some fun uh and travel i um fell in love with wine and i needed to know more about wine yeah and i ended up moving to san francisco california and that was almost 20 something years ago and i never left
0: uh, um, unbelievable, and then and and then the restaurant industry really
1: took you over. It did because it fe- it felt to me that was that was an incredible. Uh, warm camaraderie between right. people that work on that field. Well, there we, was,
0: you were, it was also a time when a lot was happening and these restaurants were blooming, right? Yes. And the experiences, the wine and food scene was, I mean, can we say just kind of getting, getting jump started? Yes, and, I am yeah. that old. Yeah. <laughs> that,
1: that was the beginning of, of the fine dining culture. And it was a, the boom time for, uh, haute cuisine in America, if I right. may use that term. But, uh, so San Francisco was a great place to be, right? but in working in the restaurant business, even though I did that quite well because of my outgoing personality and always right. eagerness to please and to serve and, and to make people have a good time, I really discovered that I wanted more focus in wine. Right. Uh, wine was, was something fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, It's very strange. People ask me how do you end up in the wine business. I was like by a sequence of coincidences and near misses, (laughs) because it was never planned. Uh It, It it really was something that took me by surprise and captivated me. I was fascinated. The same way that somebody can walk into a store and see Armani clothing or Gucci or, or Yves Saint Laurent and be fascinated by the designers. I was fascinated by wines. Right. Uh, I, I, I could almost hear voices on the labels like, who are these people? Right. Who wh- What do they do? Who, who came up with this concept? Why is this Cabernet so profound? Why is that Chardonnay so perfumey? And I was fascinated and and also th- just by looking at the labels, you right. know this I've the, always been a very visual person and and the styles that people made for their labels. yeah, I wanted to know every single one of those people. Right. I wanted to find out what was behind that bottle, yeah. So wine grabbed me.
0: Yeah, I, I think wine is is incredible in the sense that it can uh, bottle up the history and the stories of families and the stories of regions. And so, um, and then what drew you to Portuguese wines? Because you were you were a fan of Portuguese wines in the restaurant before you were then a, an ambassador for them, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, the Portuguese wines are uh, got to me because of the same reason that the wines in general got to me. You t- you touched on something that I find it fascinating. What other product, what other beverage, what other anything in the world has so many sciences converging into it? Right. Wine was once currency. You use as payment um, it's well-known fact that Napoleon didn't have money to pay for his troops so he would give them champagne right. which gave birth <laughs> to the habit of of sabering a bottle yeah. of wine uh, of champagne. And uh, if you think about it, there is there is ag- agronomy, there's botany, there's uh, chemistry, there's physics, there is religion, politics, um, love. Yeah. There's so much that goes into um, uh, a bottle of wine, a simple drink. Right. And I was fascinated the complexity, and I thought that wine is one of the few beverages or one of the few um Uh, special things in life that actually uh, doesn't hide any of those components but highlights them and with the Portuguese wines I found this I found that they have such an incredible clarity about them I I consider wines, like, like for example, if I can compare wines with ladies or girls, for example, sure. um, there are some that prefer a lot of makeup and, and hair products, and there are those that are naturally beautiful. Right, right. And And, I, and I, I don't dismiss either. I can find them, appreciate them both and find beauty in both of them. Right. But the the, the natural uh, state of beauty that you can find in, in certain wines as opposed to others um i find it very very uh, worthy of my time, my passion, my dedication, and that drew me to Portugal immediately. Right. And even as you said before, I even started working with them. I was already a fan because I could I could feel that I could see the purity, the clarity that those wines possessed. Right.
0: So it's interesting to me because you're you're not talking in uh, specific terms, but more in these greater um, poetics. If if you know, in a sense, in these just general feelings. Is that, is that the way that um, you find more effective to communicate about wine? Or uh, it, it seems to me like you're not somebody to get wrapped up in, oh, 2% of this and 1% of that and uh, what the, what the rootstock is and uh, you know, what, what everything, what are all of the, the
1: minutiae, but more in the greater
0: emotion of wine. Is that true?
1: It is true. It is true. I am Extremely interested in the minutia. However, right. um, once you learn them, you file them away. Yeah, you know, if you want to talk clonal selections, I can talk clonal selections. Sure, yeah. If you want to talk uh, soil types, I can talk soil types, wind patterns, and and drainage of soils. Right, I'm right. In, I'm equally interested in those things. However, wine is a one beverage that evokes emotions yeah, yeah. and evokes memories. Have you Ever realize that? Oh. Did you ever have a sip of beer and remember a long lost uh, uh, memory of a, a childhood uh, a sighting or a meal at someone's home, where they smell of 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 of, of your grandmother's flowers on her yard? <laughs> it, wine evokes memories.
0: Is I, I remember the exact taste and smell. Of the wine, when I was living in Spain as a student, reading the poetry of José Martí, and uh, and and taking three hours to read poetry and sip a glass of wine, and I remember that wine more actually uh, much better than I remember the poetry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and um, but I can still visualize that flavor.
1: I remember my grandmother had um, this wonderful old old armoire in her house, and um, I don't think she ever bought a bag of potpourri, <laughs> right. but her drawers of spices and herbs and 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 and, and um, condiments and um, vanilla bean and th- and and dried flowers and seeds and. I remember that I used to go to her house and just open that armoire and just take a deep breath and smell that. And sometimes nowadays, I instantly put my nose in a glass and, and I get transported right. to that moment in my childhood. Yeah. So I f- f- wine grabs me emotionally because of the capacity that it has to, to transport you yeah. uh, to places that where you've been before, or places that you've never been but you can imagine. Right. Like last night, I went to a fabulous restaurant here in Austin and I had a glass of wine and and the first sip of the wine and um the person that served me asked did you like it i was like well it's like having seawater with flowers in it so yes i love that's
0: a lovely image
1: (laughs) so i did not need to describe the clonal selections of the tribunal that made that that if that that made that salinity be so apparent on the wine or uh, what uh, other grape was blended in that brought the flower component? Yes, that is important when you're teaching, when you're right. communicating the message of wine. But most important to me to communicate is the sensation yeah. that the wine brings.
0: Well, that's it's wonderful, uh, Eugenio. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, now we, we talked about the natural beauty of wines from Portugal, and that you know they don't need a lot of makeup, right? Um, what can you just give us a general? Um, you know, we're going to dig into maybe regions and grape varieties of Portugal, but what is it about Portuguese wines in particular? Is there a certain quality to them that really attracts you? Is there, and then, and, and I want to dig into why they're relatively unknown. Uh, you know, they're, they're still, it, they've been making wine for, uh, what, 2,000 years probably, uh, mm-hmm. longer. Um, uh, why just now is there a renewed interest?
1: Um, I'll start there. Yeah, uh, okay, great. Because uh, whenever I started reading about Portugal or interviewing people about Portuguese wine, there's one sentence, one expression that always came about. And that expression was uh, the Portuguese isolation promoted the preservation of the native grape varieties of Portugal. And I started thinking to myself, Antarctica is isolated. Iceland is isolated. (laughs) Portugal is in the middle of Europe. However, if you look at the European map, and you have one in your hand, and I'll post
0: uh, one on the blog. So we'll, we'll put we'll put one up on the cool. on the blog k o o p dot and uh, go ahead.
1: And and you can see that Portuguese Portugal is actually closer to Algeria and Morocco than it is to Switzerland right. and to Finland or to uh, Germany. So. Portugal is really isolated. It hangs is like a almost like the Iberian Peninsula. is almost like pushing Portugal into the sea. Uh, and is Portugal is surrounded by two massive uh, neighbors. One is Spain in the north right. and in the east, and the other is the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean in the south and in the west. Right. Portugal has a, over a thousand. Um, miles of coastline right so the sea plays a huge part on the style of wines that portugal makes because of the atlantic influence really cools down the ocean considerably right. now portugal besides this geographic isolation also endured quite a bit of uh, of misfortunes and um if you think about it, the world got ravished by the phylloxera Laos uh, in the mid 1900s, um, and, uh, I'm sorry, 19th century. And, um, and, and after that, there was a sequence of wars, the First right. World War, Second World War, and Portugal, to boot it, was under a dictatorship right. yeah. until very recently. Right. It's within my lifetime, probably not yours, that <laughs> Portuguese, uh, the, the revolution in Portugal was in 1974. Yeah. So f- during that time, the dictatorship demanded that the Portuguese wines made um, all the grapes that were planted were the ones that they wanted. Uh, the wines, the people are forced to plant certain grape varieties. They were forced to sell to co-ops. Right. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of freedom to really explore the incredible array of grape varieties that they possess.
0: So, so almost right after um, right after World War II, when France might have been able to bounce back a little bit quicker, um, th- then, then the dictatorship really impeded that progress for yeah. Portugal. So it Portugal. set them back.
1: Hey, uh, there was a saying in Portugal that I'm so sad that I can't repeat it, but that was the, the theme of the Salazar dictatorship is uh it's something like f- f- for us only is about us and only for us right. so everything he was completely think about the lack of vision he was completely against global trading and commerce he wanted the portuguese to just make things, produce things for the Portuguese and sell to the Portuguese and to the ex-colonies of Portugal. Right. So the Portuguese had their hands tight. So I don't think you heard of Portuguese wine because for the longest time, the Portuguese only sold wine to themselves and to their former colonies. Right. And uh, to be honest, they were not of the highest pedigree and quality. Yeah. And
0: not, nece- not the potential of those indigenous was grapes. There. The potential is always there. Yeah. But it was just this um, desire not to, you don't have to compete. When you're not competing on a global scale, then you don't have to make the best wines you can from your vineyard, right?
1: Uh, and I don't think they could. I don't think they could the because of a, an absolutely lack of know-how and okay, technology. Yeah. And it was not until 1986 when uh, Portuguese Portugal joined the European Union that an incredible incredible revolution happened basically you should talk historic in historical terms you should t- talk about portugal pre-1986 and post-1986 because wow. a, a true revolution took place
0: well now that is in a lot of um almost all wine drinkers uh lifetime there yeah. uh and, and so it's incredible how recent that was yeah Wow,
1: It is a country that has been making wine, as you stated, for over 2,000 years, but really never made a good impression on the world with the exception of its two majestic wines, Port and Madeira, and Madeira which yeah. are the long-lived, some of the most respected wines in the world. And, and, and Port, actually, is the oldest demarcated and controlled region in the world. Most yeah. people don't know that. Wow! Apparently, Tokai in Hungary is it's the only one that comes close to it because they were around the same time. But the Portuguese uh, region of the Doro Valley was actually legislated before the Hungarian Tokai region was. Right. So Portugal is, is in many terms, and it, this sounds so strange to say, the undiscovered country. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that what I'm seeing, the revolution is not necessarily happening in the category of port, even though those wines tend to be uh, or, or continue to be fantastic. The real revolution is happening on the dry wine front. Would that would I be correct in saying you that?
1: You are 100% correct. From the year, um, just to give you an example, since we're talking about port in yeah. the Douro Valley, which... By the way, now it's been named a UNESCO heritage site. It's fantastic! Because it's one of the most beautiful vineyard sites in the world, and trust me when I say that, because I've seen vineyards, and those are breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, between 1952 and 1970, the Douro region of Portugal had one, maybe two, dry wines.
0: Yeah, and and we're not talking about. We're, we're just talking single wines not yeah. a, not everything it, not went
1: grapes the, but just everything went to the production of port, port. wow so so this is also a, a very new discovery and a new revolution that is happening is the portuguese are waking to the fact that they can make world-class dry red and white wines. Right, right, it is. It is fascinating to say this, to see this, uh, this developing right before our eyes. Because um, normally you read, you read about things, about this type of things in books. Right, and now we're actually witnessing this, this, this resurgence or this birth right. of this incredible, incredible wine industry. Uh,
0: and so in the dry red wine category and, and and white wine too i mean there's some tremendous dry white wines that are positioning themselves in the in the top but um we have to take a break in a short in a, in a few minutes but um You know what is that? What is that potential? Where could you see the industry actually going? I mean, do you see uh, drinkers from Bordeaux adopting dry red wines from Portugal? Do you see California cab uh, drinkers adopting red wines from Portugal? Where do you see the um, the future, or is it just very mass appeal? (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, I believe that Portuguese wines. uh, I have to add one thing. For example, you can fit four countries of portugal inside california yeah (laughs) just to put in perspective right so for those folks listening to your program that don't know how big portugal is right you can fit it four Four. times inside california within that small little area you can count with over 200 individual microclimates wow That promoted the the growth and the development and preservation of over 250 native grape varieties. Wow. These numbers are staggering when you think about the smallest area possible right um portugal it was believed i read somewhere that it was believed that during the last ice age that the iberian peninsula remained relatively warm by comparison to the rest of the world and that a lot of plant life survived uh the cold and 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 that gave birth to uh this incredible array of grapes that you can't find anywhere else right Wow. So the Portuguese have this incredible palette uh, of of colors, quote unquote, to play with.
0: Now, does that almost position them at a at a disadvantage almost because there, there's it's almost too overwhelming that where where do you start? Yes you
1: know? and no. I th- and yeah. now I go back to your previous point. Do, where do I see it going? I hope the whole world will start drinking Portuguese wines right. because it, it is to me one of those. Um, Incredible places where within a few miles, you are in completely different environments. And Portugal makes brilliant, highly acidic and crisp and clean white wines on the north unctuous and, and succulent red wines in the center and supple and juicy red wines in the south yeah. and everything in between right so it there's there's a lot of local personality on the wines and i think those drinkers of bordeaux as you mentioned or of california wine which is my home um as soon as they discovered the diversity per value in the Portuguese wines, the Portuguese have a very good chance to become everyone's favorite. <laughs>
0: well, um, the, we're, I'm really rooting for them uh, as well. And, and that's a good note to, uh, to take a short break. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We're here with Eugenio Jardim, who is brand ambassador for all of wines of Portugal in the United States. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about. I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am. Uh, this is co-op radio K O O P Hornsby Austin, 91.7 FM and K O O P dot O R G. We're radio for people, not for profit. Um, we're going to take a short break, stick with us and we'll be back uh, with Eugenio. All right, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Raychap and it's another bottle down. Uh, we talk about Wines, all kinds of wines, funky wines, uh, the standards, the uh, experimentation. And uh, today we're talking Portugal. We're with Eugenio Jardim. And uh, he's the uh, ambassador for all of wines from Portugal, and he's passing through Austin. Even though this was his port of entry in uh, his first city of the U.S., and uh, and really a love of his, I can tell. Um, uh, uh, Portugal, though, let, let's let's go back a little bit. Portugal is um, maybe experiencing a revolution, but it's not on. It's not something so obscure, and it's not something that uh, I'm sure that there's experimentation. Going going on, and, and we're seeing this wave of, of um, dry wines, as we talked about in the first segment, um, moving away from port. Um, and we talked about a little bit of the difficulty in the public. There's so many grape varieties. Um, why don't we kind of delve into some some of the grape varieties and, and then maybe talking about um, where they have their home? I mean, are, are we going to find Cabernet Sauvignon in Portugal?
1: Yes, you will. Um, one of the beautiful things about portuguese wines and portuguese wine culture is that they made sure that their legislations protect the native grape varieties right so there is there there are very very strict local commissions for every region of portugal that regulates the wines and and gives them a seal of approval after tasting as well so that's an important important part uh, Part there that they are actually tasted to see if they're worthy of the category that they are applying for.
0: So we should say that th- this this uh, is similar to the other wine laws of the rest of Europe in a sense, in in that there, you have a governing body that says what you kind of can and cannot do. A little right? bit, but a little it, bit.
1: it's a little. Mo- it takes a little bit further because these commissions called CVRs they actually will taste okay, the so wine. Wines, and that's unique to Portugal, right. that there is a tasting committee to see if you can release your wine under the DOC or the DOP. Now, as the European Union wants it, the Portuguese call it DOC. Um, right. Or if it is has to be released as a Vinho Regional. Let me give you an example. In yeah. the Douro, for example, in the Douro Valley that we've been talking about in the north of Portugal, um, the grape varieties, in order to be of the level DOC or DOC, have to be Portuguese grape varieties.
0: Okay, so so there there's the international grape varieties Cabernet. Cab, they're not allowed.
1: And if you find a vineyard of Cabernet Sauvignon, which you won't, but if you find a vineyard of Cabernet Sauvignon and you put in your wine, you are immediately dismissed from being uh, uh, eligible to the. The highest appellation, which is DOC, you okay. would have to be released as a Vino Regional, which so, is a second category. So
0: then, are there some uh, producers that are doing a little bit of a super Portuguese sort of, uh, like a super Tuscan sort of deal? It
1: depends in what area. For example, if you Portugal has also adopted some some. Uh, some foreign grapes that have been in Portugal for over a hundred years. For example, Tempranillo from Spain uh, in the north of Portugal. It is a major component in every port and every dry red wine sold from the Douro region where it's called Tinta Rorix. Yeah. Yeah. um, and say, then say
0: that again for for folks who want a good trivia uh, uh, on uh, <laughs> on their party Friday night Tempranillo is Tempranillo
1: is, is Chinta Jorish. Jorish. and but if you move to the south of the country yeah. it is called Aragonese And it is the same grape. Same grape, yeah. So um, Portugal has this diversity. For example, in a region like the Alentejo, you have a French grape called Alicante Boucher that is actually uh, recognized as a legitimate adopted portuguese grape and right. it can have that highest uh clout as well right so it, th- there's a lot of diversity uh like for example i think chianti now allows a little bit of Syrah, low cabernet it does, which yeah. but in portugal the beauty the beauty of the Portuguese laws and how they work so beautifully to preserve the native grape varieties is that the foreign or the international grapes are never the dominant right. uh, grape varieties. They are a little bit of the spice. That brings me back to the next subject, which is uh, the the power and the the ability of of the Portuguese of being master blenders. Um, I I I don't know if it happened to you, but I've been asked many times by people if blending is a new thing. And and I I laugh hysterically at it because Bordeaux has always been blended. There are five grape varieties permitted, and they're never displayed on the label. Uh, champagne right. has mostly, like Blanc de Blanc is a, is a new thing. Right, uh, right, It's the relatively newest champagne to be added to that uh, scheme of, 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 of champagnes. Nobody asks uh, what are the, the grapes of champagne. Right. Uh, we can give trivia to your listeners too. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, interestingly enough, Rioja, you lived in Spain. Rioja is always a blend. Right. Um, uh, another one. Uh, uh, oh, any. any uh, uh, Chianti. Chianti, Chianti yeah. is a blend. Yeah. Um, so, but the Portuguese are not doing super um, Portuguese wines right, like right. The, the Italians did. But they are really focusing on seeing the best way to use the grape varieties that they have. And they have plenty to use.
0: Do you think um, that—so you uh, think—I talk to a lot of wine people around the world, and often they say— Ah, you know it, the 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 committees or those regulatory bodies are just suppressing us, <laughs> and 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 they're just wrapping us up in bureaucracy. Do you think that the that it's working in Portugal? I mean, I think that that you do. I I get that you do that 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 these these regulatory bodies are preserving the culture and the grape varieties Absolutely. and trying to push uh, it, it being known on a global scale.
1: And they are elected by the growers right, okay. in Portugal. Oh, interesting. So the growers Actually, work through this, the 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 CVRs of their regions right. to promote their wines, to have access to knowledge, to technology, to to really enhance uh, their production and and. Count on their CVRs to work with them. So right. it is a very a mutually beneficial relationship that happens there. Right. You ask you asked me a question earlier that was an interesting point. Is this too much of a good thing? Is it too bad that <laughs> Portugal has two hundred and fifty grape varieties? Uh, in any case in the world, you would you would have thought that oh my god you have all these grape varieties, that is fantastic. But I I can see that that may be a detriment to Portugal because in one, we're so used to quantifying things. You know, we're so used to the mentality of the exact, knowing exactly what I'm drinking. Uh, 45% Cabernet, 35 Merlot, 20 Petit Verdot. And you might
0: forget it uh, right after you you finish your glass of wine, but you feel like you need that desire. You
1: kind of... I think we're we're very controlling beings, and we want to know exactly. We want to be in the know. Uh, however, I was uh, telling a friend the other day that I don't remember a single time in my 20-year career in the restaurant business when I sold a bottle of the, uh, Chateau Lafitte to anyone, and they asked me how much Cabernet was in it. Right. Yeah, it's just Chateau Chateau Lafite. Yeah, exactly. So the Portuguese have not had the 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 advantage of having a good um, canvas to promote their wines. For example, in America, we have so many Italian restaurants. Right. And what do Italian restaurants sell? Italian, Italian wine, wines yeah. <laughs> so how many Portuguese wines do you have a uh, Portuguese restaurants do you have in Austin uh,
0: I think they're just the the chains of the 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 Hojizio, the Brazil well those are Brazilians those are so, Brazilians they're not Portuguese they're true but they might they, they I think they try to they, s- they offer incorporate Portuguese. but but you see my point right no oh, definitely uh, yeah. you
1: had to think about it for a second and yeah. you came up with a Brazilian not a Portuguese right. so right. Portugal yeah. have not had the luxury of have its culinary to be as it's cuisine to be as celebrated as Italians have. Right, yeah. So that, that goes hand in hand. So I believe that Portugal has been underrated and under the radar because of lack of exposure. Yeah. Because once you taste the wines, you're sold.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about food um, and the, the restaurant scene, in, in uh, maybe in a few minutes here in, a, in our last segment. But I want to um, I want to delve into some of these grape varieties that that we think have a really big future. Maybe maybe we could start with whites because um, there's some phenomenal white grapes and wines that are coming from there. And uh, I want, you know, they they give us unique flavors, right? These are flavors that you don't get anywhere else in the world. Let, let's name a few white grapes that you think are just stellar.
1: First of all, I am so glad you said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if I say that, if somebody may, have, may think that I'm, oh, he's paid to say yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I find the white wines of Portugal the greatest, greatest finding yeah. that, that I can possibly think of my last few years of my career as a sommelier. Right. Um, a few grape varieties, that started in the north. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and where most people might know, if they know one Portuguese wine... Is Vinho
1: Verde. Yeah. And and the Vinho Verdes are normally blends of white grape varieties from the areas. Right. There is Loreiro, there is Arinto, there is Azal, there is Aveso, um, there is Alvarinho. But Alvarinho is specifically one that I want to mention to you because it is called Albarinho in Rias Baixas in Spain. But in Spain, it produces a wine that is extremely high acid and very mineral, very crisp, very clean. They're phenomenal wines. But as it crosses the river, uh, it loses the chalky characters of the soils of the Spanish area of Rias Baixas and moves into granitic area and the granite on the soils of Portugal and the heavy ocean influence changes the alvarinho into alvarinho and it brings much more of a broader fruity aspect to it more peachy and nectarine so qualities. a little bit more opulent and more opulent more floral less less acidic and less mineral so and you Alvar- get that
0: you, you get that both when it's a major component of vinho verde
1: or, or by and, itself, and, and by a itself. single grape We're variety. We're seeing it, Alvarinho on the oh labels it's a lot a, more It's now. one of my favorite yeah. things out of Portugal. So that's one grape that I'm extremely excited right.
0: about. And that's only found in the north, really? N-
1: not necessarily. Okay. Now it's spreading, but okay. but the home of Alvarinho in Portugal has for the longest time been in the valleys of two rivers that are right over the Spanish border. Right. Uh, one is called the Monção, and the other one, the Melgaço River valleys. Okay. And uh, until 2016, the law had that the wines could only have Alvarinho on the label and remain DOC or DOC if it came from those two areas, Uh Maçã and Gasso. But now they opened up to the rest of the country because Alvarinho is also a great variety that you can find in the Alentejo, for example. Uh And in the Alentejo, they could have an Alvarinho that is DOC. But in the Vinho Verde, they couldn't, which is the home of Alvarinho. So the the law came to correct that. So Alvarinho is one exciting grape. My second exciting grape is Arinto. Arinto is this grape from a small little enclave right outside of Lisbon, uh, a region called Bucelas. That has a lot of uh, limestone in the soils, right. and these white wines age with such beauty. They are the acid beasts of Portugal. So basically, <laughs> Portuguese wines don't need to be acidi- acidulated or acid adjusted right. because you can just plant a little vineyard of Arinto, and Arinto has natural citric acidity that brightens up all the wines.
0: So is that usually used to blend to yes. provide that usually component? to blend? Yeah.
1: But if you buy from the region of Bucelas. Okay, this absolutely magnificent and you can't be blended with anything else right Bucelas is actually the only appellation in 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 portugal that only produces white wine there are no red Bucelas. oh very cool it's only Arinto.
0: now is that just so obscure that um in in this country or is it it is it increasingly uh, be, I getting hope out so. there
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to get the word out right right um my other very very exciting um, uh, uh, grape variety is called Encruzado. Encruzado en Cruzado comes from a region called Daun in the center of the country, and it is a region that historically was dominated by co ops, right? And now they are branching out, and it's also the birthplace of Touriga Nacional, the greatest, most famous Portuguese red grape variety. Right. But Encruzado to me has such an, a commercial appeal because it tastes and reminds you of Chardonnay hmm. without the butter, without the oak, yeah. and with a lot of floral and mineral qualities.
0: I feel like it, and and I haven't had many, but I've had a few that um, takes on, it, it gains in complexity very quickly. You know, it takes on and this texture. minerality and richness. Yes.
1: I always think of beeswax yeah, texture. Yes, yeah. and, and it becomes Creamier as it gets older. Reminds me of white burgundy.
0: White burgundy or Roussan almost. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. I know,
1: yeah, But it has more acid than more. Roussan. That's the only difference. Okay. But I think texturally you're you're spot on, like right. Viognier as well. Yeah. If it wasn't so high alcohol and low acid, I right. would compare it to Viognier as well. But that's in Cruzado. My next favorite grape <laughs> variety, I have to mention the Verdello. Verdello, not as in Verdejo from, re, from right. Rueda Different. in Spain, right. but Verdelio from, from the island of Madeira. And right. there is some really outstanding examples of Verdelio being made in the Alentejo nowadays. Right. And I, I find the wines tremendously youthful and fun and vibrant and, and exciting and, and easy drinking. Yeah. I want to put one more plug okay. for white grapes. Sure. Do not... Underestimate the white wines of the Dodo Valley. Ah, yes. You seldom gonna find them single bottles, single varieties bottlings. Uh They're normally blends, but they are. Outrageously good
0: And, and what are they Are they like Trechadura or, or, No This uh,
1: That's from Vinho Verde okay. That's like Goveo okay. Which is the Godeo From Valdiorras right. uh, Vinhozinho Rabigato Native grape varieties The Portuguese Have just such so fun. Fascinating yeah. names You know what Rabigato means <laughs> Cat's tail <laughs> And then there's Another uh, Oh we can go on And on for days On this And there's another uh, Grape variety Um uh, in Portugal that I find it fascinating that it's called Borrego das Moscas. And I asked somebody, that's not very flattering. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like flies droppings on oh. the grape because <laughs> the grape has tiny little brown spots <laughs> on it, naturally, <laughs> and they call it... Fly droppings. Fly droppings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so and, and there's another one that is called Zganacão. Zganacão sounds oh, that's exotic. You There's, know what it it's means? It's very exotic. It's like, yeah. strangle your dog. <laughs> it's like, who came up with that name? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's
0: just, it's fun. I mean, it seems like they have a humor, a sense yeah. of humor when it comes to And it's a, it's
1: a very rich culture. And to be honest with you, until the joining of the European Union, uh, with the exception of Porto and Madeira, there was, there, was no, there was no such thing as a Profession as a winemaker being considered somebody of a status in the world in the business world in Portugal. Right. Wine was made like almost like in a family tradition. You yeah. know, you have your parents and you, and and you may be good at just painting, so every job in a house that needs painting, you're in charge of it. Right. Your sister may be a great in the garden, so she's in charge of the garden, and and hey, we all need wine, and we need wine with every meal. Right. One of you better learn, <laughs> and and there was the home wine making, yeah. and that was the culture in Portugal, yeah. but ever since uh, the, the joining of the European Union, um, the laws have changed. The regulations have changed. 1986, the revolution that happened. Now people are interested. We have young people going to school of enology, and 60 percent of the graduates of the of the school of enology in the country are women. Yeah. So that is bringing a whole new um, sensibility to winemaking that I find it fascinating. I I'm I'm enjoying seeing where this is gonna go. And
0: do you know if any other country has that uh, ratio now?
1: I don't, but I I I think that is there is a very unknown fact around the world is that some of the greatest Cabernet Sauvignons in Napa Valley are made by women. Yeah. Yeah. but that's not talked about right, very much. Right. The Kathy Corissons and uh, the the Donin Dyers right. and uh, <laughs> they don't get the credit that they deserve. Yeah, so yeah. women have been making extraordinary wines for a very long time yeah. but in Portugal that it's really taking
0: off. Wow, it's so good to hear. Um, we only have, uh, we've got about four or five minutes to talk about the red grapes. I know that that's such a little amount of time um, but tell Oh, so, you, so you mentioned the king, Toriga Nacional, right? Toriga Nacional, yeah. Toriga
1: yeah. Nacional is a grape from the Down, from the region of Down, that has been absolutely incorporated into the makeup of port and the red wines of the Douro, And is a, a, a grape variety that offer incredible intensity and depth yeah. without losing um, its lightness of feet. It, it has this beautiful floral component to The brightness, it has very bright acid, and also it has this violet aroma to it that is very uh, easy uh, to identify.
0: That that was that is always what shouts out to me. I, oh, you I, I must be, that on the I must too. be very sensitive to to violets, but because um, it it it's the violet and also that um, that uh, nice dried herb. Uh, medley
1: that yeah, just the savory the savory quality of Portuguese wines make yeah. Portuguese wine some of the best pairings with food around the right, world right. another grape is Baga yeah. B-A-G-A Baga yeah. yeah. it's from the region of Bairada in the center of the country very close to the down and uh, this is a grape that is considered like a tannic uh, monster because the grape is very very strong in terms of flavors and dr- really powerful dry tannings but it's natural. But when he treats the grape very gently, right. it ages like a, a Burgundy. Yeah, or Nebbiolo. Or Nebbiolo. A lot of the Portuguese winemakers, if you ask them what they think is the most exciting red grape variety in Portugal— Even though they are not from that region, (laughs) they will say Baga. It's kind of like
0: in Italy, even though they make Chianti. And they love Chianti. They they might be wishing they were in Barolo. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) But uh, another grape uh, is the one that we know in this country as Piriquita, which is actually Castellão. Castellão is a grape that um, grows in an area right outside of Lisbon, south of Lisbon in the peninsula de Setúbal. And it makes some really interesting red wines. They are strong, they're dry, they're floral, they're earthy, but they're bright. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you get a a dark, dark red wine and you smell raspberries instead of jam right. and figs. It's really fascinating to me, and that incredibly beautiful uh, acidity that yeah. the wines have. Right. I think that that's uh, that's something really to be admired.
0: Right, and and let's let's talk about that just for a moment because I think it's a little when we say. Um, Acidity, I think some folks might think, ah, it's sour. Yeah. But no. And, and no, acidity is an essential component to the wine Prob- and it gives levity to it, right? Perhaps
1: the most important component right. in wine. Because if you think about it, when you when you want to refresh your system, you have a glass of, of lemonade. lemonade yeah. Or 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 something like light and crisp. When you want to warm your body, you have something with alcohol in the a shot of whiskey or tequila right. so alcohol warms things up and weight things down right and acid gives it a lift right um i would be remiss not to mention one more grape variety oh, sure. that yeah, i yeah. wonder if you have ever tasted yourself okay all right the grape is called ramisco
0: i have not tasted it
1: i have,
0: but it's on my my it's my homework. For this a, week. It's <laughs> probably one of the
1: most fascinating grape varieties I've ever tried. Really? in my life as a sommelier. Wow. It is a red wine that is grown on sand dunes outside of Lisbon. Really? They dig these holes in the sand until they find clay, and then they plant they plant the, the grapevine. And then as the vine grows, they start dip pushing the sand back in. By the time the, 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 the it reaches the surface, there's about five to six feet of stalk that is just traveling through sand to reach the surface. Wow. And, and I would it,
0: imagine that's the only thing that they can grow there. That is the only, the only area
1: in the world that wow. has Ramisco, and a, an, an English writer called the most endangered wine region in the world because the the urban sprawl of Lisbon uh, is taking over. Because, hey, guess what? Sand dunes are beachfront properties. Right. Oh, so boy. Uh, a lot of the vineyards are being lost. And if I had power and money. I would t- turn that region into a world heritage site, yeah. because if once it's gone, it will be gone forever, and you will never have wines of that character again. Wow! People ask me to describe the flavor. I often say that it's almost like you are having a old uh, Pinot Noir right. from Pomard, for example, with a pinch of sea salt. Wow. It is <laughs> fascinating. I just did a tasting in San Francisco of of Ramishko. The region is called Kolarish. Okay. Um, the grape is Ramisco. I did a tasting of Ramiscos dating back to 1931.
0: Wow. So they they age incredibly well. And,
1: and, and I was sitting around the table with these journalists tasting this wine, and one of them looked at me and said, Do you realize that when this wine was put in this bottle, Bonnie and Clyde were robbing banks? <laughs> And then another one looked at me and said, Do you realize that Hitler had not ascended to power yet? Wow. Well, yeah. So remember when we were talking in the beginning of our conversation, yeah. all the things that go into a glass of wine? Think about the history that is packed into this glass. The world was a different place when that wine was made. That's yeah.
0: beautiful. Is um, are we gonna end on that? That grape? I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> sure. we're, we're gonna we're gonna uh take a short break here. I do wanna I I wanna have come back and have a few more minutes about um about some of the foods and 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 how that really really pairs. So uh, thank you so much for for staying tuned. This is another bottle down on co op radio K O O P Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back with uh Eugenio Jardim, who is ambassador to wines from Portugal. Okay, thank you for staying tuned. My name is Mark Graishap. It's another bottle down. This hour has been about wines of Portugal, um, all of the fun grapes. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Eugenio Jardim uh, pronounce these grapes and, um, and and also appreciate his excitement and, um, and the characteristics and the uniqueness of the wines. Um, we can't really talk about wine without talking about food. So, um, Eugenio, I'd like you to... Uh, um, you know, talk about we, we've we've kind of discussed that Portuguese food is certainly less common to find than Italian cuisine, certainly less than French. And now we're you know we're starting to see a lot of Spanish tapas places and Spanish restaurants popping up. Um, what is Portuguese cuisine all about?
1: Well, Portuguese cuisine is very localized as well, right. um, because of the long coastline that Portugal has in a very cold ocean. Uh, Portugal has an abundance of fresh seafood. Right. Um, some of the best fish I've ever had in my life have been either in Spain or France, or, or I'm sorry, Spain or Portugal. Right. Um, especially the areas near the north, near the Vinho Verde. Ha! Ah, coincidence. Right. Fresh seafood, with fresh uh, uh, um, uh, shellfish, and 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 brilliant, brilliant restaurants throughout that area. Right outside of the city of Porto, there's a small little town called Matosinhos, which is basically an, a, a small f- fisherman village that is becoming an iconic place to go for seafood um, in general. And so does, seafood is big. And, and do they do the octopus as well?
0: Or is it oh, mostly yes. A, yes, yeah, they all, do. all shades of seafood? All of it. Yeah.
1: But they don't tend to use uh, on the seafood because it is so fresh. They tend to make it very simply, grilled with the basic like local olive oil, lemon, salt, and pepper, and that's it. And to be honest, with you, when you start with something delicious, you don't need to make up on it, right? right, right that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so seafood is a big component. Well, Portuguese national dish is also a fish, uh, bacalhau, uh, which in Spain is called bacalao. In right. uh, Spain, is mostly served a fresh fish. In Portugal, is actually sun sand- salted and and dried right. uh, cod, and and that it has to be reconstituted and make some incredible, incredibly decadent dishes, um, just like in Sevilla in Spain, which you may be familiar with. Uh, there's the festival of sardines there. Yeah. Sardines are very big in Portugal as well. Now, when you move into the interior of the country, the food gets a lot more heartier, right. and there's a specific area where I mentioned the grape baga comes from, that is famous from for leitão. Leitão is basically suckling pig, oh.
0: and and some of the the best meals that I've had in Spain have been from 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 this this amazing yes. dish, yeah.
1: Portugal is also famous in the south, in the region of the Alentejo. Most people don't know this. is that uh, because of the extensive amount of cork cork tree plantations, uh, that uh, there's a very large population of pata negra pigs, the black-footed pigs, because they are known as pata negra as the Spanish ham. But a lot of the pigs are actually uh, raised in Portugal. Because they they are wild uh, in Portugal and they're hunted and and then harvested and sent to Spain and made into ham.
0: So and then in Portugal do they do the same thing where they where they cure that patanegra? Oh yes, and, and so oh, so you can yes. find the jamon patanegra yes. in
1: exactly the same fashion as wow. in Spain. Yeah. and Portugal has an incredible array of cheeses as well in the mountainous areas of the north. Yeah, we don't um, think about that. No, there's one specific r- region called Serra da Estrela, which is one of the Highest mountains in Portugal um, that has a queijo da serra, which is a cheese, mountain cheese that is absolutely stunning and decadent <laughs> and delicious. So, Portugal has a lot to offer culinary wise. Right, right. uh, there are a lot of stews, and the Portuguese have about 1,000 recipes for bacalhau. Wow. <laughs> and probably close to 1,000 different desserts based on eggs. Sugar and milk. Yeah, <laughs> because magic apparently, apparently, they use a lot of the egg whites for, for as a starch right. because it was a big religious country and they use a lot of that in the convents to starch, you know, the the habits of the of the priests and the nuns. But also, they use that for fining the wines, for clarifying the wine. Uh, yeah. So they had to find a use for the yolk. Right. So they develop. An incredible, incredible array of desserts. The most, the famous, most famous of them is called pastel de nata, which is a little tart. Uh, like a cream tart right that right. is it looks like the top of it looks like a creme brulee it's charred like a creme brulee oh my and goodness and it's fantastic
0: I ate a humongous lunch but uh, I, I'm still getting hungry <laughs> as always happens on this show <laughs> yes
1: and, and, and the beauty of Portuguese wines is that Portuguese wines are meant to go with food right not just Portuguese food but the savory character that we discussed that, he, that it has it really blossoms when you put it with food right the Portuguese I, I tell People in my talks that uh, Americans invented wine as a cocktail. Right. You know, in Portugal, it's not part of their culture to sit at a bar. Now they have a lot of wine bars, but before, you wouldn't go to a bar and order a glass of wine and sit there and sip wine. Wine. Came only when you're eating. Right. Uh, you start with a gin and tonic or with a port and tonic or with a sparkling wine. Right. That's sipping. Right. And then when you sit down, the white wine comes down. Right. right. And then the meal progresses, the red wine comes out. Yeah. And then they get to dessert, the port or Madeiras come out. Yeah. So it's very connected. Yeah. It is a there's a cultural link between wine, food, family, and and and, and this convivial nature um and traditions of portugal i've seen no other country that had married so perfectly um modern lifestyles with traditions as portugal does
0: yeah that's a wonderful note to end on um eugenio I've, I've really enjoyed this. I think that, um, I hope folks out there listening have, uh, learned something and, and also, uh, felt some of the passion about Portuguese wines that I think both of us are feeling. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, hanging in there with us. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshap. Uh, thank you. Eugenio Jardim, who is, uh, ambassador to, uh, wines, wines of Portugal, um, who basically spreads the, the, the word and the passion all around the U S, uh, uh, you travel quite extensively. Thank you for coming into Austin. And thank you for coming into the Co-op Studios. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you know, hope thank to you. see you. I know that you're in love with Austin, so maybe next time uh, you can come back in the studio and, and I will surely have tried the the Romisco, uh, romisco <laughs> oh, Let's make a deal I'll
1: bring a bottle of Romisco Okay, sounds good <laughs>
0: Thank you Okay, uh, folks we're, that wraps us up for today um, Thank you for tuning in uh, It's Radio for People and Not-for-Profit Co-op Radio um, I'm going to post the maps um, on my blog and the and the co-op blog that's koop.org slash blog um, Please uh, I hope everybody enjoys great wine this week with their family, with their friends, and it brings everybody together and, um, and you, you experience new flavors and new and exciting things. So, um, uh, thank you so much and, uh, we'll see you next week.